What most people are unaware of is how grief and loss are amplified during the holiday season. In this episode of Guiding Grief, you will learn methods and of resources to help you or your loved one better cope with their grief through the holidays. Today, we welcome Amy Daly and Christina Swanson, experts in their respective fields from Hospice of the Valley, San Jose, a division of Sutter Care at Home. And we are honored to have you on Guiding Grief to share your expertise. Um, and today our focus is making sure that we have an opportunity to use this platform to talk to individuals about preparing themselves for the holidays. Um, Halloween is around the, the corner. A lot of the times we jump all the way to Christmas is the big holiday, but there are so many traditions that we have and things like Halloween and Thanksgiving and Dia de los, uh, Dia de los Muertos, I wanna make sure I say it correctly, um, amongst so many others. And especially when birthdays and anniversaries are smattered within that period of time, it makes it incredibly difficult and in your expertise. Uh, that's gonna be our goal today, is to share a little bit about that and how Hospice of the Valley in San Jose helps to guide families and provide them access to um, care and more importantly, a place to be heard. Um, so for the both of you and whichever, uh, whoever comes first, is my first opportunity to talk to two professionals at the same time. Um, what are the most common concerns that come up with clients regarding the holidays? Um, so I think what's important to point out is what holiday season really means for people. Mm -hmm. And so we, when we think of holidays, we think of togetherness, a time of family, a time of sharing, um, a time to give thanks. And when someone is grieving, oftentimes they're feeling lonely and an emptiness. And so that same joy that surrounds the holidays is not there. And they can feel that emptiness even with a, a full home. Yes. Full absolutely. of people. Right? Absolutely. Um, because they're just missing one key person. That might right. have been the matriarch or the patriarch of the family who kind of brought the family together, you know, for the traditions. So I think um, the most common questions are, is it okay? Is it okay if we do things differently? Mm -hmm. um, do we keep traditions? Um, how do we manage, you know, expectations of others? They think we should be doing something, um, and I'm not feeling like I can. Um, and what do we do if there are young children in the home? How do we keep the joy for them? Right, how do we relate and make sure that there's some continuity of um, those events without taking pause and remembering that the person is not with us? Um, what is important to you and in, in your encounters, Amy, as, as it relates to it? Yeah, I think that it's important to give permission um, to the grievers to um, allow themselves to give permission to themselves that it's okay to say no, it's okay to um, not do the same things that you did before necessarily. And so there's a lot of that um, uh, just giving permission. Right, I, I think we're, uh, we're always looking for that level, um, but no one, I don't think people know how to find that permission. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the one wonderful thing about Hospice of the Valley in San Jose, is that if someone, you have that encounter, and based on your expertise and your time and your field, that if someone has an opportunity to speak to someone like yourselves, 
that's where they get access maybe to the permission because internally they're thinking it's just I shouldn't the be happy. Tape recording of the shoulds. I should be doing this. I shouldn't be feeling this right. way. So to have a place or a platform to explore those feelings so they can then feel I can give myself permission. It's okay that I do things differently, but how am I then going to communicate that to my family? And so I think then that's where other conversations happen on how to be supportive to everyone that's grieving mm -hmm. the loss. Um, and, you know, we go into some more examples, but um, I think those are the primary questions that we start hearing now especially as we're leading and yeah the lead up is is so uh, important because they if given permission earlier if yes. access uh, and they've they've entertained the idea that i'm about to embark on something either for the first time or yeah. the second time or you know the 20th time yeah. that maybe they needed permission and they've never found it um, and maybe i should provide a quick interjection as it relates to hospice of the valley in san jose that it's not just hospice of the valley that's caring for an individual under hospice care, but the level of grief um, counseling you provide, and maybe you could touch on that and the services. So we not only provide counseling to our hospice families, we do provide counseling services to the community. So anybody that's experienced loss can utilize our services, individual or group counseling, and then events um, such as preparing for the holidays, um, we have an annual memorial throughout the year, um, and all of those are no cost. Um, so we are available um, to support anybody grieving, not just a hospice family member. Um, I think that's really valuable because it gives a place for people, um, you know, who may not necessarily or may not have ever necessarily gone to traditional counseling, so mm -hmm. to speak. Um, but the loss has really challenged them and, you know, other life stressors um, coming to talk to us as licensed professionals um, gives them the tools they need to cope. Um, and not just during holiday time, but this is the time that's really overwhelming. Um, and just to go back what you said, we do do this early to help with the planning because it's not just about the day, it's the lead up that's overwhelming. How am I going to be? How are we going to be? What are we going to do? And as you begin to plan through that, the day itself is manageable. And so it's giving the, right. the time to communicate with family members to compromise and come up with new ideas, new traditions, if that's um, what is desired. And so I think that framework of having the conversations early is really important. Uh, something you, uh, you've touched on that I find is super important and my, my Aunt Dee actually has mentioned this that you know some people look at therapy and they say to themselves oh that's not for me mm -hmm. and she always said well if you've got a vehicle your car needs a tune-up out every now and again and getting a tune-up and having a conversation with yourselves or someone yeah. at Hospice of Valley or somewhere else but you're searching for individuals to help and and people think of the day it's Christmas Day, what am I supposed to do? It's not just Christmas Day. It's pulling that box out of wherever you keep it. Yeah. And whether it's tinsel in 1987 or you know a frocked tree or whatever it might be, or pulling a skeleton out that you've hung on the front door forever, that's, that's part of the tradition is yeah. the actual lead up and giving permission. 
one of the things that I think is incredible that you've done and the benefit of an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, which I wish I would have had when I was in the early stages of grief. And I'm, I'm gonna grab it because I, I just wanna make sure that individuals know that this is something that you've curated. I mean, going through and uh, this document, which I, I hope all of you will go to Sutter Healthcare at Home, um, well, uh, Hospice of the Valley, San Jose, and find this and start going through because it asks those great questions. Contributing to funds, uh, preparing special traditional foods. Is it a one person job or can it be shared? And it's literally a checklist. And my family could have used it. And I know every family that I get to serve as a professional could use this. What are things um, and how, how do you distribute I, I think this is a masterpiece. Something usually like <laughs> thank you. Yeah, simplicity is uh, incredibly important in a tangible and digital form. Um, how has this been received? This inventory for the holidays, as you've referred to it, because the inventory is the action items. It, and I think it's why the inventory is so important is because you really do look more deeply. Is this something I want to do? Is it something I like? Do I do it out of obligation or tradition? Um, because I feel like I have to. Um, and so it's really making that list of how important is this to me, and if I don't do it, how will it make me feel? And I think Amy has an example yeah. of a family she worked with, um, and it was just a really beautiful example of how the inventory was used. Amy, that's great, because any anything that kind of brings it to life, uh -huh. on a, you know. Yeah, I had a family who experienced the loss of a, um, a teenage son and um, so the mom um, is, is a client and she took the papers home and uh, she and her husband and their teenage daughter um, discussed what their expectations were, what was important to each one of them and they used that as a template to go over and have um, a frank discussion about what this was going to be, um, what they wanted the holidays to look like and what was important to each one of them. Yeah, you, you need to do it. Yeah. And well, I, 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 yeah, no, go ahead. No, I was going to just say, you know, losing a loved one, oftentimes we feel like we're losing our power. And so we want to gain some control back. So having this tangible form and going through it can make the holidays more bearable mm -hmm. when everything feels chaotic and so out of control that you really can prioritize and look at, well, gift buying. I don't feel like going into the mall where they might be streaming in holiday music that, you know, triggers an emotion. So I'm going to give gift cards this year. And I think that form allows people to see it differently because it's on paper. Again, it's not just the thought process. They can look at it and then have an easier way to discuss with their spouse or their parent, um, whoever it is in the family they want to include in the discussion. And a lot of times it's challenging for um, clients and their families to talk about feelings and they don't want this big heavy discussion about feelings and this makes it a little more structured and a little more objective for them. Especially men um, tend to not necessarily want to delve into feelings so it's Oh yeah, let's, let's bury chance. that. Let's yeah. put that right, <laughs> let's let's put that right under the rug. <laughs> right. Yeah, we don't need to touch on that. We're yeah. just going to plow through. through. So they like to have a 
like a tool, a tangible tool, like yeah. Tina said. Yeah, I, I, one of the ones that stands out to me on the list is is holiday parties. But then you, and then you mentioned, you know, all of the things that come into it. Because if you're going for shopping, maybe stuff and things isn't it, or maybe stuff and things and buying gifts is is fun. But maybe you walk into that place and you hear that song, right? And you're like, ah, because it's going to capture you. And I think if you've gone to Costco at any point in time lately, it's there. It's there. <laughs> You know, so you can't. Uh, there's so, trees. There's ornaments. Yeah. There's <laughs> we're, we're, everything. Toys to buy for the kids. We're it's, ready to celebrate, but mm-hmm. but a huge one is the holiday party. Yeah. And you know, and it's not just the the Christmas or the Hanukkah, uh, or the Kwanzaa event. It, it's it's the other things that lead up to like, hey, we're going to go to something for work, and all the kids are going to be together, and they're going to be dressed in costumes for Halloween. Um, but it touches on that, so you can have that conversation in advance, so you're not caught off guard. You've had a, um, a lead up to saying, "I know that this is happening," as opposed to just walking in in the whirlwind of emotions taking over. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if someone doesn't utilize this, which I I hope you do, um, I, I've shared it with my family and. We were looking at it five years in in the past saying, gosh, this would have been a great conversation because we changed everything instantly sure. with our loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and many people do. And, and not with a thought process. We just didn't want to do, so we mm-hmm. didn't. And then we just disrupted everything and then no one, none of us knew how to feel. Yeah. Um, but so in my particular case or the majority, which is not looking through this thoughtful uh, inventory of um, items and holidays, how, do you, how would you help and coach somebody that finds themselves in the midst of that? I, I think it's, if they don't want the paper tool, we do it verbally. Mm-hmm. We ask the specific questions and have them prioritize with us. Mm-hmm. Um, because some people don't feel comfortable, they don't need the visual, they wanna talk through it. Um, so I think, you know, for my clients, it's just really asking them the questions. What do you feel is important? Are the holiday cards important? Are the holiday parties important? Um, the hardest thing about the holiday parties is walking in alone mm-hmm. for someone who's lost a spouse. I don't know how I'm going to feel walking in, seeing all these couples, and now I'm single. And so what I always suggest is it's okay to say maybe. You don't have to have the yes answer all the time. You may decide that day, you know what? I have the energy, today's a good day, I think I can go. Um, So again, I think that's part Mm -hmm. of the permission giving too, that we can put aside all those perfectionist tendencies that Mm -hmm. we have Mm -hmm. um, around holidays or any time for that matter and just be how you need to be in the moment because part of it is feeling the emotions too. The grief doesn't go away. It's always with us. And so if we tried to say, this is holiday season upon us, grief's going over here in a box, it doesn't work that way. No, it's no, it's, gonna find its way. <laughs> it's incredibly heightened, it. yeah. And again, all those triggers are everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, stores, songs on the radio, walking into a doctor's office. You may have a doctor's appointment, dental appointment, and they're playing holiday songs. Just like I said, that trigger where you didn't expect it. Um, so I think it's just knowing it's okay to say maybe or even no. Mm-hmm. And then to piggyback on that, it's 
it's helpful if um, if people do decide to attend that holiday party that they drive over alone and that way they can leave if they get there and are right. overcome that they have kind of an escape plan. Right, they're not beholden to somebody else that was planning on going and staying and closing out uh, the uh -huh. bar or the event and they're thinking, oh my gosh, um, I'm stuck here. Uh -huh. And in this day and age, we should never be stuck. We're a, we're a button on an app away from getting yeah, out of where true. we are, <laughs> and hopefully that's safely. True. But we do have a FOMO culture, that fear of missing out, which yeah. also goes in like, hey, I'm supposed to be re re represented at this party with or without. And then without the inventory, you're living to somebody else's expectations of the way that maybe you used to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, my wife shared with me recently, Jomo, which I really love, which is the joy of missing out. And I just, I, have not heard that I hadn't heard it either until recently, <laughs> but in our need to be seen, need to share world of what we're doing and how we're doing it, I love the idea of the joy of missing out is maybe just being at home and on that holiday or on that monumentous occasion, which is an anniversary or uh, a first, you know, maybe lighting a candle and being, um, having solidarity and just being with, with yourself uh, or with your intimate family. Um, how do, how do feel, uh, families deal with uh, others' expectations? Because that's on, on the flip side, which we just touched on. Th someone else's expectations of us. Mm -hmm. and, and then also if you could talk about how you would prepare someone that is walking into that environment. Mm -hmm. And do they talk about their loved one? Um, and how do they prepare themselves if someone does or doesn't? Because sometimes we want someone to ask and we don't know how to bring it up. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I had a couple that I was counseling um, who lost a five-year-old daughter and um, Halloween was right around the corner and uh, they didn't discuss with each other the expectations that they each had for um, Halloween and he wanted to receive trick-or-treaters and um, he thought that would bring him joy whereas she just wanted to close the house up, keep the lights out, just no ringing, no knocking. Yeah, yeah. no trick-or-treaters. And so um, uh, when that night rolled around, they had very different expectations about what that was going to look like, and it resulted in um, kind of a huge blow-up. So it's really important to communicate about those expectations. Right. I mean, maybe if that conversation on an inventory list is had, maybe that child gets to go to somebody else's house and do that, and um, maybe... Uh, one of the, the parents goes or, or whatever the, the the mix is but you have that thought process before so that maybe everyone can have what they need and not everybody has to live um, um, your grief because we all do it differently and sometimes we're thinking well I'm gonna be sad over here and I need this world to be exactly the same and we need to respect that everybody's doing it differently and age has an an incredibly important aspect, especially if someone's youth, youthful, uh, very young, they're, they've maybe flipped that switch to, I don't really understand or identify mm -hmm. with where mom and dad are. Uh -huh. So I want to just continue to do, and I also don't want to feel bad about that. Right, yeah, so it's managing all of these expectations that can be really challenging. And I think minimizing stress, it, you know, people mean well. So when they're trying to be encouraging, you should do this, you should go to your work party, 
or you should decorate, you should answer the door for trick-or-treaters, you should cook the turkey on Thanksgiving, they're not recognizing all the emotion behind that. So we really want to change those shoulds to wants. I'm hearing that I should do it, but do I want to do it? Right. And I think, again, no one's being ill-willed and trying to be insensitive to the loss. It's, if you do this, it's gonna make you feel better. But that's not always the case. And so I think it's looking at it from that standpoint. Okay, the turkey. What would Thanksgiving be like if we didn't do the turkey? You know what, I'm okay doing Chinese takeout this year. That's what dad loved, so we're gonna have that meal instead. And maybe next year we'll go back to cooking the turkey. And so again, I think it's looking at shoulds and having a different spin on on what that means. Um, I just really helpful. I'm I'm thinking of like the it gets so it can get so into the weeds and you can be so unprepared for it because it could be, you know, whether it's the turkey or the green bean casserole, you still have to go to a place. And if it's mom's recipe, you're opening something up and you're saying, now I'm gonna make this and she's not gonna be there. And I've always opened these cans. it's not as good as hers? Right. So you've got this expectation. You've got the other thing, which is now I've got to do it and I don't want to. Mm-hmm. And, and to our original, uh, the beginning of our conversation, which was the permission. And that's what you are actively allowing people to do. Um, the unfortunate thing is you can't knock on the door of someone's home and say, hey, you probably need some of this great information. And that's why we get to talk here today. And hopefully this platform allows individuals to find access to realize that they need permission. They need to have a conversation. And sometimes I think where the challenge presents to, we just commented briefly about young children in the home. And we don't want the kids to lose the joy. And, you know, whether it's, them dressing up for Halloween or decorating the house for Christmas, you know, maybe making small changes so that there's still some tradition, but honoring your feelings as well. Um, And really young children, of course, you're not going to be able to communicate that to if it's a two-year-old in the home. They're not going to understand, you know, mom or dad's feelings. But if it's older children, to have those conversations, Kids know what's going on. I think sometimes there's this feeling of, yeah, they don't know what's been going on. They don't know how I'm feeling. Yeah. They absolutely know and respond and consense if there's something big that's not being talked about. Um, so I think open communication with young children is just as important. Um, and you can still decorate, but if you need to minimize, buy new ornaments, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's too hard to take out the ornaments that dad bought every year, but we're going to do something new. We're going to do, you know, favorite sports teams or something and make the tree look a little bit different. Um, yeah. All of that would be okay. So as we continue our conversation um, about embarking on our holiday journey, and I, I do want to remind others that if they haven't done this inventory in the past, it doesn't mean that they can't hit a reset button and enter into a holiday season maybe with better communication with family, which is why, which is what you want to do. I mean, you want to do it for yourselves, you want to do it for your family, you want to do it for the community and Hospice of the Valley of San Jose. That's your goal. Um, So what rituals might grievers do to memorialize and honor their loved ones? 
during the holidays? Yeah, we have some good examples of those. Wonderful. Um, I am a bereaved mother. My newborn daughter, Alexandria, died. Um, it's been over 21 years ago. And so uh, the first Christmas without her, I was given a tabletop um, Christmas tree. And I had gotten some angels as gifts, and I had bought some myself as memorials to her. And so I decorated this uh, Christmas tree. And this will be my 22nd year of decorating this tree for her. How does that event, and uh, because you have two other children. Correct. Um, where were they when, uh, at what point in their lives were they? Um, when the loss occurred of your daughter? Um, my son was just shy of two, and then Alexandria was our middle child, and my um, subsequent child, uh, Savannah, was born um, a year and a half, no, a little less than a year and a half later, and um, we call that a rainbow baby. Mm -hmm. And uh, so um, they just grew up, knowing that they had a sister and of course my son was um too young to understand but um but as they grew up savannah would help me decorate the tree bryce wasn't as interested as she was and um so then as she got older she was about nine i think and she experienced the loss of her pet guinea pig so that opened the floodgates for her to grieve her sister that she never knew. Right, she had an emotion attached to something she loved. Right. And yeah, we think of grief as just loss of, um, at yeah. least when I, when I started doing this, it was just loss of a loved one. And you know, a child losing a guinea pig, that's a, a monumentous occasion. Uh -huh. I experienced it with fish with my children uh -huh. for the first time. Um, so how did, how did that happen and what was her path to? Um, then it was kind of challenging because we were uh, 10 years out from the loss and so I was in a very different place from my daughter but um, uh, we just allowed her to grieve and I have a box of Alexandria's belongings um, the minimal things that she had the blanket the little sleeper that she was wearing it's in a Winnie the Pooh um, box and it's a hat box so we opened that up and um, and looked through it. I showed her everything. I said, this is what your sister wore. These are photos of your sister. And so she just um, went through that grieving process. And she still talks about it occasionally, how it would be nice to have a sister. How, when you bring the tree out, is it something that, uh, if it's okay mm -hmm. to ask additional oh, questions. Yeah, absolutely. Is it something that is, uh, there's an occasion associated with it? Is it, I'm pulling a, uh, do both children come up and at this point in time, later in life, that's kind of an expectation for them too. Right, that, uh, yeah, it's, that's it's a living memorial. that that tree is there. And then the second, um, I believe it's the second Sunday in December, each December is an International um, Children's Bereavement Day. And so uh, people light a candle all over the world from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. their local time. So we incorporate that with the tree. Oh, wow. We light a candle and put her photo by the, um, by, uh, the candle. So um, they've experienced that as well throughout the years. It's in um, the, the photograph and the candle is, 
in line with something that Pixar and Disney did recently, which I just, I think maybe parents go and watch that movie and think that maybe this is an animated film, and hopefully, because it's usually, you know, you go to an animated film and there's so much for adults to grab to, and there's so much for the children. But it's such an incredible story about, from uh, the Mexican culture and saying, hey, your, your memory is kept alive by virtue of not just a photograph, but us telling stories. And if Alexandria didn't get to tell hers, you get to keep her her light alive. Uh, and when does that event happen? I, I'm, I'm, that's new to me. And it's something. I believe it's the second Sunday, um, the second Sunday night each uh, December. Wow. And it's specific to child loss, or is yeah, it child loss? Child loss. Uh -huh. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. The things that people don't know, and knowing that that happens around the world mm -hmm. in such a delicate season, that you know that, you know. Mm -hmm. Hundreds and thousands of people could be lighting candles for their loved ones at the yeah. same time. Um, one of the things that would make you feel less alone. Mm -hmm. and I think that's one of your goals at Hospice of the Valley of San Jose is that a lot of people come in and they feel lost and alone. Yeah, and you want to guide uh -huh. them to the fact that you're not alone. Mm -hmm. Your grief is your grief, that's but right. it is, uh, and it is unique to all of us, but it is not unique to humans and loss. Mm -hmm. And that's something we say, so we offer this preparing for the holidays in a live seminar form in October. And when everyone's seated in the room, we comment on that. Walking in, you didn't know anybody. And now we're all here together. Yeah. Grieving various losses, but you aren't alone. Everybody in this room knows and understands how you're feeling. And again, there's no expectation of you're coming in happy and you have to do this and this and this. It's you just need to be however you need to be at this moment. Right, you create a community. Mm -hmm. I, I was at uh, the book signing event that you uh -huh. had, uh -huh. um, which was wonderful. And uh, there was a people that had met through the community uh -huh. and maybe not a pair of individuals that would have found each other any other way and they're traveling the world together because they found through loss that they, they met have some at our support yeah. group. They met at a support group. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I think yeah, Monchismo, you touched on earlier that maybe that helps in, uh, to keep maybe men away from it. Would you say that there's more women that come to your support groups and bring families or is it uh, what is that mix? And how do you get to those families? You know, it's varied through the years. Um, I've been at Hospice of the Valley for 15 years, so I've facilitated many groups. Um, this is the first time I, I currently facilitate senior partner loss that I have half men, half women. Oh, wow. Men, four women in the group. And that's just a nice balance because men do grieve differently than women. Mm -hmm. and it becomes a really supportive environment to offer tips and tools. Um, I would say many of our groups are more female dominated, um, but we do have a lot of men come in and sometimes it's just circumstances that preclude them from coming to group, but they come to individual sessions, um, you know, time frame another commitment on the night we have group. Um, but over the years, yes, definitely more. Absolutely. That, that, that's what they're 
searching for at that point in time, or that they're willing to search for it. And women like to talk yeah. <laughs> and openly share yeah. all the time. Yeah. yeah, that's typically how women right. express their It's a Mars and Venus yeah. thing, like yeah. we are different, uh -huh. uh, cut from the same cloth, but definitely different species, right? Mm. Um, I want to also touch on the other great side of the work that Hospice of the Valley of San Jose does for our community, which is actually leading up to loss, because that's also something that's happening. So you're wearing the hat of those that are preparing for a first holiday and with, with the person that they've loved and lost. And then there's also a large portion of what you do, which is individuals that are going to lose an individual. And hospice and funeral homes are scary things to people. And I think in our world of hatchings, matchings, and dispatchings, which uh, uh, an Australian friend and his mom shared that with me, and I thought it was beautiful. We do the two, the first two, very well, but then we fear individuals like yourselves because we're talking about this very difficult topic. We're talking about a topic that's often avoided. Yes, let's not do it. Um, I think we should do the dispatchings part better as a culture and a society. And you're reaching sure. out. Uh, in advance. Is there things that you do uh, to prepare or do you have access to those families that are utilizing hospice service, preparing for loss, you know, in this holiday season? And is there a different approach there? Um, so anticipatory grief, right. we offer that support as well. Um, I think different approach where it's, you know, a lot of times it's the fear of what if they die on Christmas or what if they die on Thanksgiving? that's gonna mark every holiday after that Yeah. as the day dad died. Um, and so that just gets very confusing and chaotic. And so we can't predict, we can't predict death dates. And so it's really being in the moment and um, you know, just trying to comfort and normalize those feelings. <laughs> we don't wanna minimize it and say, oh, it can't happen because it's a possibility. <laughs> um, but just trying to get away from that fear, I think that that it falls on the day, yeah. and then it has maybe doomed that day forever. Mm -hmm. But it might be better if we're just present. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Present I with our loved one who's transitioning. Yeah, and mm -hmm. present with our own feelings. Yeah. Right, as opposed to being consumed with how this is going to affect, because that's the yeah. beginning of being prepared mm -hmm. yeah. for how we're going to grieve right. on that day, every day forward. And that would be the, what you would counsel mm -hmm. individuals is. Yeah. be present. I mean, families call us and they say, oh, gosh, we got to get everything done. And I, I want to help every family make them feel comfortable uh, from my profession. Uh -huh. But if they're calling and it's, you know, that transition is close, stay, we're here 24 hours a day. Be present mm -hmm. and hold hands and uh, mm -hmm. say a prayer, do whatever it is that your family does and create that as your trans tr uh, tradition, especially during the holidays. Uh -huh. And another piece of that too is um, uh, talking about living losses because a lot of times we think loss is just death when um, people, like for example, someone who's losing a loved one to dementia, they have the loss of the um, person's abilities um, prior to that. So they have losses along the way, right. not just the loss of the person um, physically. So we talk about those. Oh, that is such an incredible thing. Thank you for touching on it, Amy, that people don't realize and how prominent uh, dementia 
and Alzheimer's is becoming in our culture. And there's stages of loss through that. And that's actually one of the most difficult family things a family can experience, especially without the support of someone to have a conversation with. Is that something that you delve into at Hospice of the Valley quite a bit? Is that something that's kind of growing in importance that you found at Hospice of the Valley San Jose? I think our um, social workers and chaplains do a pretty good job of, um, of preparing the family members and they do a lot of that anticipatory grief mm -hmm. work with the families and occasionally someone will need more than what they can provide because, um, because they're busy seeing multiple, multiple families. So um, sometimes they'll get sent to us, but it's more or less wouldn't you say a, a function of our chaplains and social workers? We did start this past year a caregiver support group. So for any hospice oh, wow. family member that's a caregiver, um, Amy facilitates a one uh, time a month support group where it is that time to talk about you know some of those fears yeah. and what's going on with their loved one. Um, they're on our hospice service so that's another um, kind of way family members can access if they can't regularly come in for appointments because right. they don't want to leave their loved one which makes sense I can right. commit to weekly appointments but this gives an opportunity um, you know we can provide a volunteer to go out so that the family member you know could come in for the support group I just I find that the uh, in our initial conversations and my connection with Hospice of the Valley of San Jose has been phenomenal, but it's really like peeling an onion because as soon as we find something, you're like, okay, this isn't just, it's not all encompassing. It's not just grief and preparing. It's the caregiver mm -hmm. and you're mindful of the caregiver mm -hmm. and making sure that we identify with that individual or that you identify with that individual and say, hey, you're going to need support too. You're at that's home. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I mean, that's just a huge congratulations to your organization and the great work that you're doing to make sure you're not saying, well, grief is this one thing, and we're going to yeah. do it this way, <laughs> because having a group of other caregivers come together. Not cookie cutter. That's no, for sure. no. That's for sure. um, gosh, is there anything different that you're going to do to get back to Alexandria this year? Uh, is there? Um, when does that tree come out? I know I'm jumping back to that, but it's just in my mind and you've shared something so vulnerable that... Yeah, the tree comes out when we go, yearly we go out and cut down the Christmas okay. tree. My kids are back in the Midwest, so it's just my husband and me, but we get that out with the rest of the Christmas things. And then um, when I'm decorating it, I am reflecting on the times I got to give my daughter a bath and when I saw her smile, she opened her eyes. And so um, I'm thinking back to all the, she was only here for a week on earth. So I, I go back to those memories that I did have during that week with her. Wow. Um, and that, that is another side of the grief is that it's difficult for a husband and wife and partners to lose a child together. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole nother level of our relationship and um, the sounds of it you have endured through that great loss and mm -hmm. had a rainbow child which is wonderful I think that's a beautiful term uh -huh. that I've um, 
unfortunately I, I get to know based on my profession, but mm -hmm. um, something that no mother ever wants to know. So my condolences to you for that. Thank you. Um, so some other um, just rituals, um, one that I often share for families because I think this is something that can be special for young children is um, Christmas stockings. And so there's that question of, do we put the Christmas stocking out of mom? And so I always suggest yes, and as a way to kind of honor the legacy and the memory is have the children or any family member or friend write a favorite memory of them during the holiday season and to place it in the stocking. And then on Christmas morning or Christmas Eve, whatever day you right. know is, is most special for the family, you spend time reflecting on all those memories that were placed in the stocking. And sometimes it's things that people didn't expect that came up. You know, a friend might share a story from, you know, mom's childhood that nobody knew. Um, right. And so it really just becomes then a special intimate time for the immediate family to share those memories together and continue to have mom stocking, you know, out um, by the fireplace or wherever it is. Um, Without having it just be this symbol of grief. Yes. It's also a, uh, a portal to yeah. stories uh -huh. and reflection because memory is not... Um, it just doesn't, we don't just have that recall, it's, it's usually triggered. So that's an incredible, I mean, if, if uh, a Jewish family could ask for stories from friends and families and yes. talk about it every single time they light a candle at night, you know, mm -hmm. I just, um, but that is a creating a new tradition. I have written that one down because we talked about that we over coffee and I just, <laughs> I love that, share that with my family and we'll reach out to um, my family's community for those stories so that we can hear them because they evoke laughter and tears, and both of those are incredibly wonderful nice. human functions that we need to embrace. Uh -huh. And another personal one that I, it could be done with adults and children. Um, one of our colleagues, Jillian, who facilitates our children's program, um, we did this activity last December um, in facilitating a, a, a girls workshop. They were 12 year old girls. And um, you buy like a clear plastic ball ornament mm -hmm. that they can decorate and fill, you know, feathers, those pom-poms, glitter, that's a big thing with children. Um, but in between all of the stuff that's placed in the, the clear ornament, they can write a message or a note to their loved one and roll it up and stick it inside that ornament and no one has to read it. But it's their feelings, their emotion, it could be a memory that oh, they're wow. missing um, about their loved one. And it's just more of a personal touch that sometimes there's things we don't want to openly share and that's okay. But being able to write that message and then close it and seal it in the ornament and that ornament is on the tree right. every year. And that's become just a very special way um, for children to honor their loved ones too. Absolutely, the, the therapy of journaling, mm -hmm. writing something down. Writing I mean, there's down. Just, there's a hugely impactful uh, on so many occasions. Things I didn't get to say, things I wish uh -huh. I would have said, a memory that was just you and I. Uh, those are uh, incredible. And then I think if the earlier um, about the stalking, if you're inviting other individuals into mm -hmm. that. 
you're actually allowing them to have an opportunity to have reflection to the loved one. Which back to that Coco thing, it was like keeping that story alive, yeah. Yeah. keeping that light lit and that memory. Because you fear people are going to forget. Mm -hmm. right. I don't, I'm missing this person so much, I don't want other people to forget they existed. Mm -hmm. So saying the name and sharing the memories and having the conversations with family or friends that this is a difficult time, but it's still so important for our connection to our loved one mm -hmm. to have those memories shared. Right, and it doesn't have to fade. Some, you know, some, oh, we'll do this this first year, but if it, it, if it then grows, continue. and it grows, because there's more memories and there's more stories, um, you know, that, that we need to share. Um, as it relates to uh, the loss of a child, is there things that um, you could allow your two children, I mean, they've, they've had this incredibly uh, difficult loss in their life that they weren't even there to um, appropriately grieve as children and they've grown up knowing that there's that um, the sibling or best friend that they might not have had and even in that just you know writing a letter to them or writing a note right mm -hmm. wow yeah they've done that I think Savannah has written about um, uh, I think she entitled it the little blue box referring to the hat box and the sis talks about the sister that she never knew so she has written about it and then um, we also encourage uh, family members um, to uh, maybe make a favorite dish of the person who yeah. passed and um, to get a serving of that they have to sh the family members have to share um, a memory yeah in order to get <laughs> they can't that have yeah they can't have unless they share exactly and so sometimes that can be painful with a with child loss mm -hmm. to um to prepare that meal that the child liked so of course it's about communication going back to the communication and setting expectations and what one parent versus the other is going to be comfortable with. Yeah, but that's again that inventory in advance. Are we having a conversation because I want to do a thing and I think it would be beneficial to me and as a uh, husband, wife, partner, I, I want to make sure that if we endeavor to do this that we've had a conversation and we're prepared um, because just knowing that there's going to be emotion that's evoked uh -huh. and having that knowledge of, okay, as opposed to just saying, oh, do whatever you want to do and then you show up and mm -hmm. It, you know, fall to pieces or um, the other things that happen with grief, which is uh, anger is an, enorm an enormous mm -hmm. part of it. And it's anger a, and guilt. Anger and guilt. Yes. We, we have it when we are walking the earth and then it, it manifests itself um, in different and mm -hmm. sometimes ugly ways uh, through loss. Yeah. But I, I believe that if more people inventory these items going into the holidays, mm -hmm. I, um, I think they would be ahead of the curve. I think so too and I think acknowledging that we grieve differently especially with bereaved parents but among everyone mm -hmm. in the family like okay we're gonna grieve this very differently and just putting that out there and um, and uh, making that known that okay that's just the understanding and I'm gonna honor the way that you grieve while honoring my own grief and just have that grace that I'm going to understand that you're doing it differently. And I think it's gotten better over time, you know, 
still some avoidance, but I think people are better at communicating about the loss, open to sharing feelings, because really what it's about, the reason we grieve so deeply is because of our capacity to love. If we didn't have love for somebody, we wouldn't feel right awful when they die. And so I think having a different understanding of why going through the grief process, going through the, the journey is so important because if we avoid it, it's gonna find its way. And I think we hear that, you know, sometimes we get those phone calls. Well, it's been two years and now the holidays are upon us and I'm so overwhelmed with grief. I've had this like grief surge that I didn't expect because I've just been so busy and I've avoided it. And right. we can avoid, 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 but the only way is going through the pain. Right. I think there is a better understanding of that and people access services sooner um, so that they can have an understanding that this is a normal reaction to grief. I love what you said about the love though. Because if we didn't have that capacity, I mean how, how unfortunate would, would it be if we didn't have capacity yeah. to love? And you have, there's that yin and yang to this, that on the other side, if we do have this ability to fill ourselves with love and memories that we also need to go through that path and just the uh, skirting it it never it never ends up helping anybody you know someone in the in the future says gosh I wish my dad would have let me cry and I felt like I shouldn't have cried mm -hmm. because I was supposed to be stoic but then that again the permission that we spoke to yeah it's okay to have that emotion uh, for anyone regardless of gender that is it's a biological part of our makeup. Yeah. The tear ducts exist. Have feelings. Yes. We all <laughs> yeah. But I think that that happens. They're like, well, gosh, I'm not supposed to do this because I'm seeing. And then to the point of like the, uh, how our children see us do things, they mm -hmm. see everything. Mm -hmm. You know, they can f feel tension in, in our homes, they can feel all of these things. And if we don't uh, give it a name or create a conversation around it, we're not allowing, we're not teaching. To and our I'm children, that it's okay. That. I have had parents say, I can't have my children cry, see me cry. And I said, That models like valuable, like yeah. helping skills that it's okay Huge. to cry. Yeah. It's part of human existence. Them seeing you cry is not going to be damaging them to them. But you telling them it's not okay to cry, that's going to be more damaging right. to them. Yeah. Um, so it really. Um, models healthy coping um, you can just be open I'm really missing daddy today that's why I'm that's why I'm sad that's all you need to tell them you don't need to go into every detail of what triggered that response but I think you know again understanding we don't have to avoid or not share our tears with children or even adults. I mean, I think there's some situations where people want to avoid it mm -hmm. um, if they're at work or something. And um, I think there's certain situations where it's removing yourself if that's too overwhelming. But if you're at home, 
let it out. Yeah. Because that's actually more healthy than holding it in. Yeah. I don't know what, what it was in our society forever that, you know, like the, the Superman cape or the cape, you know, has never come with tears. But, yeah. you know, maybe modeling our superheroes and showing their vulnerability um, is something that we also need to share because we watch this and we see these things in our culture. And it's like, oh, here's the big and strong and that's what we need to. Uh -huh. But on the other side, we have this, this human capacity um, but we should never um, harness. It should be unbridled to just say, okay, this is how I felt about this person. Um, as we've talked about a family or uh, a parent not showing their child uh, how to grieve because they said, hey, I, I don't want my children to see me crying. Mm -hmm. um, can you share other sides of that and how we can prepare our children, not just that it's okay to cry, but sharing how that grief is, um, how that they can internalize that grief or sure. their perspective. Um, so I think, like I said, it's, it, it models healthy coping if they see you cry. Um, but the flip side of that is to communicate to the child that um, they don't need to manage that emotion for you or take it on, that this is um, their responsibility to fix or to change it or that these feelings are their fault. I think naturally children, you know, oh, mom's crying because of me, or I didn't do this, or I didn't give them a hug when they were, mm -hmm. you know, you know, emotional. And I think just to say, you know, Ma, I'm going to be okay. Um, I'm sad because I'm missing daddy, but, you know, you, you know, don't have to take care of me. I'm okay. Yes. Um, and having that conversation that they know you're okay, and this is, Kind of the natural part of the healing process but it's not something that they did not something that they said because i think kids can think in their mind if i bring up daddy is that going to make mommy sad and that's not the case either and and so just making sure that they're not taking responsibility for your grief and for your feelings and um you know how they're manifesting at that Right, they're their own little humans. They're going to internalize, and I think a child is going to go very quickly to the place where they're saying, if mom's upset, it's my fault. Yeah. And we just, not only do we need to show them that it's okay to grieve um, and to have tears and to have emotion, but that also it is not their responsibility, as you've said. I, I think it's, it's paramount. And for young children, too, their grief looks different because they sometimes don't have the words to be able to articulate how they're feeling like right. adults do. So a lot of times theirs comes out in play. And so it is very different if they're seeing, you know, they're not coming up and saying all the time, you know, I miss daddy. It comes in doses. They'll have those moments, but a lot of those feelings, anger, sadness comes up in their play. Right. Um, imaginary play, running on the playground, anything like that. So again, they don't oftentimes have the words like we do as adults. So they do feel like it's something that they said or did. Um, yeah. Because they're just, their minds are still growing. I mean, I imagine I, you, you ask individuals, you know, how does that make you feel? And even as an adult, I'd still like a wall full of words that I could pick from. Yeah. That one, that's the way I'm feeling. This is my feeling space today. <laughs> yes. I need to identify with that word there yeah. because even we have a hard time yeah. articulating because we go to like the, you know, angry, sad, all these other, but there's so many other words out there that can better capture how we feel. But even as adults, we don't have yeah. that capacity. I have my, you know, if I'm checking in, how was your week? What happened? I don't know. 
can't tell you how I feel right now. And that's okay. Yeah. They don't have to have an answer, but it's just exactly what you're saying. Sometimes they can't put a feeling to it at that very moment. Yeah. Yeah. Our, 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 a loss for words. Um, well, I am, I am thrilled to have had both of you on the Guiding Grief podcast talking about um, holidays, preparing um, our valley. I mean, your, your reach is those that are willing to seek the help and guidance um, through the tumultuous times that can be the holidays without someone. And it doesn't mean that if you're listening that it was, this is your first year. And if it's not your first year, then you can't come and seek out Amy and Christina's help. I mean, you might need it five years on and you've been, or, or 20 years in and you've said, I, I just, I never dealt with that. Let's get an inventory checklist and talk to someone who cares and is compassionate. And um, there's a lot of wonderful individuals out there, but Hospice of the Valley of San Jose is making an enormous impact and reaching out to its community. Um, there are some fun questions as it relates to fun. Maybe I should scale back on that. But just kind of a quick round of questions because uh, as a funeral professional and um, you know, having life celebration homes and trying to find a better way to communicate, there's things that people think of and I think it's important to have those conversations from uh, my end as a funeral professional say, you know, what are those questions and how can we get there uh, and make people feel better about that, that. And you are individuals that deal in a difficult world so they're they're brief and it's kind of quick and rapid fire, but have you thought if you would um, select burial or cremation, either of you? Cremation. Cremation. All right. Uh, no wrong answer, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and would you have a service, no service? Service. I think right. it's important for the loved ones. To have pause and to share yeah, stories. Yeah, to be able to reflect upon that. That's part of their process. Yeah. I'd have a celebration of life. I'd want it to be jovial and yeah, bright colors. Yes, no one's music. wearing black. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Toast to some champagne and sharing stories. Yeah, that you were here. Yeah. And you did good work on this earth while you were here, and we need to. I'm obviously on the celebration side. I think that life needs to be celebrated, whether it was taken from us too soon or whether someone lived an incredibly long life and they get the blue ribbon at 90 plus years old because you made it, um, that we need to take pause, whether it's five people or 500 people. We need to have a, a, maybe an intimate setting where that toast happens um, or whatever uh, that family's tradition might be. Um, if anyone could preside over your service, living or dead, who would that individual be? We've had the likes of Bob Marley. Um, another one was Christopher Walken. Um, one was Dad. Um, pink. Pink? Mm -hmm. I love pink, right? Yeah. <laughs> love her. Yes. Good energy. Yes, absolutely. Strong female. <laughs> she is an advocate, right? Yeah. She's uh, she's an empowered woman. It's wonderful. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. That's but okay. I have an answer. <laughs> we can put it in the notes after. If you think of it, you're like, this is the individual. Yeah. We'll put it in the notes. Who would it be? Uh, and then, 
this is something that is near and dear to me, and I think sometimes we don't identify with how important music is. But is there specific songs that you have uh, heard in the past? And just so you know, I, I have a life celebration playlist on my phone, and I've had it the conversation in past podcasts because it, my wife doesn't, you know. If it's me that goes first, she doesn't want to mess up the music. She's like, this is important to him, so important to him. I'm so glad that he's written it down. So is there a song maybe that you uh, dance to at a wedding or something like that, that that you'd want to make sure that you knew was part of your legacy? I really do like uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Yeah? Yeah. And I like um, uh, Tears in Heaven, uh, Eric Clapton. That's terrific songs. Yeah. yeah. I think it's great because whenever you hear those, there's always emotion that's associated with them. So mine's going to be a little bit different. I like it. In line with pink. Yeah. Anybody that knows me well knows that I'm a huge Dave Matthews Band fan. I love Um, it. So two-step because there's a verse in there that says, celebrate we will because life is short but sweet for certain. And I feel like that's how I live life. Wow. Day by day. Dave, I wish I could close with your music on this podcast because that is an incredible lyric and one that is near and dear to my heart. And uh, for any DMB haters out there, I think you should re-listen to yes. Dave's lyrics. I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. Uh, you may not like him, his vocals, but his lyrics are really Yes, powerful. yes. And all the other instruments and a company yeah. that make uh, the beautiful music that's Dave. Um, I've been actually listening to a lot of Dave lately. and it, it just always uh, brightens my spirits to, to hear his music. Uh, thank you again, Christina and Amy, for being here. Uh, I want to make you sure. For having us. Yes. Thank you. Uh, Guiding Grief is uh, the beginning of a, a community where we've. I'm trying to figure out a way to reach out to the community in Hospice of the Valley of San Jose, um, a division of Sutter Home Care is Care at Home, Care at home is doing phenomenal work. I'm honored to have you on and I look forward to speaking to your constituents and other individuals at Hospice of the Valley and their specialties and communicating to not just our valley, but anyone that's listening that knows that uh, grief is real and if it is not um, met with thoughtfulness and mindfulness, that it it can be all-consuming. So instead of derailing your uh, life trying to stifle something, open your hearts up to the feelings and emotions that your body naturally has and allow yourself um, an opportunity to walk in the door, which is an enormous step, and say, hey, I'd really like to talk to somebody. Uh, Because in my experience, Amy and Christina and your entire team at Hospice of the Valley of San Jose is uh, both warm and kind and thoughtful and wanting to do good work, right? Only 15 years? Yeah. Only 15 years? (laughs) And how long have you been there now, Amy? a little shy of two. And bringing um, your enormous heart and um, your loss, which I am really grateful for you sharing today. And I hope those that have had that experience um, can take your strength and know that they can create new and beautiful things that they get to do every year for individuals they've lost. Thank you for listening to the Guiding Grief Podcast. Sometimes we never know who around us is quietly suffering from grief. Please share the Guiding Grief podcast with your community to increase awareness and to support those in need. We hope you heard a small message today to provide you peace and solace on your grief journey. 
I would like to thank our sponsors, Darling Fisher Life Celebration Centers and Los Gatos Memorial Park. Remember to practice kindness, you deserve it, and our world needs it.